Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and we are here through one week of the Miami Open. Look back at that. We have a sudden retirement from our world number one women's singles player, Ash Barty, and we also have one of our favorite Canadian tennis coaches uh, back on the podcast, Mike, as uh, Rob Steckley joined you this week. Yeah, Rob's back for his annual visit. And, uh, you know, the longer we do this pod, uh, things are becoming, there's, there's like a feel of tradition almost that you and me are accumulating with some of our guests. And, and it's for a good reason, too. It's, it's guests like Blair Henley last week and, and Rob Steckley this week, who we've built up this rapport with. And uh, it's so funny because I feel like we've met them. I feel like we know them. And yet with both those guests last week and this week, we've, we've never had that face-to-face encounter quite yet. But it feels like you know, we built up a, a friendship and a, and a rapport with them. And, and it was great to have Rob back on the podcast. His role has really evolved since we first had him on two years ago, when at the time, I guess he was still coaching Nastia Pavlyuchenkova mm-hmm. on the WTA. And, you know, for him with young kids at home, it's been tougher to commit to a, a full-time presence. He could certainly have either on the ATP or WTA a full-time coaching gig right now if he wanted to, but kind of step back to be closer to home and, and play the role of, of being a great dad, which I think is in his bio and instagram you know great father uh, and that's really cool someone who's proud of that and, and prioritizes that and uh, and he's working with the juniors these days and in particular kayla cross a 17 year old canadian talent who uh, made it to the aussie open doubles finals and the aussie open juniors earlier this year and uh that, that's been a long-standing project almost five years now that he's worked with with kayla and her family and uh, so kind of cool to chat with him about what it's like coaching juniors versus the pros and uh, and the enthusiasm and excitement from the perspective of a 17 year old who's just on the cusp of, you know, hopefully making it a, a professional career in tennis. Yeah, certainly. And um, credit to Rob, who clearly has, I think, a very humble approach to, to coaching, because as you mentioned, and you, you cover in this interview, you know, someone who's coached such high profile names, whether it's Pavlyuchenkova, Safarova, Denis Shapovalov, um, to be stepping back and, and looking bigger picture with juniors in our Canadian pipeline, like you mentioned with, with Kayla Cross, who's doing fantastic, I think. And uh, we had the privilege of, I had the privilege of speaking uh, to her and Victoria Mboko early February after they had that incredible run, uh, making the junior open final in the Australian Open. So I was very interested to hear on just his perspective, uh, working with these juniors on these projects, um, on just viewing it as a long-term project and developing uh, their young careers because there's so many years to go. But I think he effectively highlighted how Canadians are dreaming bigger and bigger in the sport of tennis these days. Yeah, we've got credibility in Canada. And I mean, first and foremost, he's got credibility as a coach. I mean, if you're Mm -hmm. a junior player who wants to make it, not only are you seeing uh, Dennis and Felix, Bianca and Layla Annie, who are making it and, and thriving as professionals, you know, top 10 players, almost top 10 players for Layla Annie. But then you've got a coach like Rob Steckley, who also was a professional, professional player. So he's talking about his own life experiences and, and what it's like to, to grind it out and to make it. And, uh, and he's someone who's coached some of the best players in the sport as well. So, I mean, if I was a junior to have a coach like that, not to mention just how entertaining he is to have around, I can't see Rob Steckley ever having a, a, you know, a down sort of a day. I can't see him being the type of coach that's going to be, you know, super hard on the players or come down on them or have sort of like, you know, any sort of negative tactics in his coaching arsenal or toolkit. Uh, He's such a positive guy, as you'll hear on the interview. If you haven't heard one of our interviews with Rob Steckley before, it's all positivity. It's good vibes. 
Uh, I think he's exactly the kind of coach I would want my son or daughter to have if they were a teenager looking to to make a go of it in tennis. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, without further ado, let's listen in on your interview with Canadian tennis coach Rob Steckley. This week on Matchpoint Canada, I'm happy to welcome an established tennis coach, uh, an established tennis character, and overall one of our favorite recurring guests here on the podcast, Rob Stackley, welcome back. How you doing, man? How are you? I'm trying to clear my screen right here. You got something going on here. Oh, there we go. I'm Better? here. I'm live. I'm good. Yeah. It's What's good going to have on? you. It's good to have you back. I uh, I was reviewing earlier today our previous chats on Matchpoint Canada just to sort of make sure I'm not duplicating questions, you know, explore new ground with you and it's kind of funny by coincidence we've always had you on at this time of year. It was uh, April 2020. It was March uh-huh. of 2021, and now here you are again as we're kind of transitioning from March to April. So I don't know why that is. The only thing I could come up with was maybe like as we're trying to escape the winter, you know, blues, we need a refreshing voice to kind of guide us into spring. Right. And, and that's you. Let man. me t- let me be that voice. Let me be that voice that brings you into that summer vibe. How you how you I'll been keeping? There. How, how you doing? All good. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm actually trying to go through that process of trying to figure out how I survive through the winter because I'm not really used to it. And I'm staying home a lot more, which is priority for me. But damn, that winter is nasty. <laughs> like, well, the dark, you know, there's all kinds of variables that go along with winter when I guess you were a kid. Don't really notice it because, you know, you're building snowmen and whatnot. But yeah, as you get older, it's just like, it takes a toll. So just the everyday life is much harder. And uh, I try to make the most of it. Yeah, so, I mean, a year a year ago, you told me that the winter was too much for you to handle as you were seeking refuge down in Florida, I believe. So did you stick it out up here in Canada this winter? Not chance. I still, I went back down to Florida. <laughs> and, in th- and, and in this episode, we were looking for property to buy so we can move to the winter, you know? So it's like... I don't know. I, I just, I'm just so much more productive outside and the wintertime just takes a toll on, uh, you know, somebody who likes to be outside and I try to make the most of it. But um, at the end of the day, if the sun ain't shining, the birds ain't chirping, uh, yeah, kind of faking it, going yeah. through the motions a little bit. So the, the outdoor tennis more fun than the indoor tennis, I guess. Um, way, yeah, way, way, way more fun. Are, are you primary? So let's talk tennis then, right? That's what we got you on here for. Although we, we love your, your sense of humor too and your stories. But uh, you primarily coaching uh, Kayla Cross these days? Is that still sort of priority number one? Or have you been sort of keeping busy with a bunch of different projects? Well, I mean, I won't mention any of the other things. But I mean, I, I do a lot of consulting. But Kayla's priority. Hence why I'm at home and... Uh, you know, I, as I've gotten older, I, I've really wanted to kind of narrow in on Canadian tennis. And I've been with, you know, the Cross family for over four years and lovely family. We have a great relationship. And, and um, Kayla, uh, as you know, has always been a project and, um, you know, has been something that I prioritized as of recent because I said, you know, it, it was just tough prioritizing somebody who was 14 and and so I had been in the backgrounds and shadows and and there's a, a lot of people you know on this team but uh I'm just fortunate to be one of them and uh yeah I mean she's doing great she's I think this year is uh finally showing you know what she's capable of on you know the bigger international scale and uh I'm happy and I'm proud of her 
Yeah, and for those who aren't familiar with you, although I'm sure, you know, for our regular listeners, they, they know what you're all about, which is why I kind of shortened the intro this time around, um, right, not yeah. to take away from your accomplishments. But you've coached Chapo, you've coached uh, Nastya Pavlichenkova, a whole slew of professional players. Um, um, uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, not Lucy Safarova. Not, thank you, Saf- Safarova. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, so that's obviously, you know, kind of monopolized a lot of your time in the past, but with Kayla, um, such a strong start to this year, making the uh, doubles finals at the Junior Australian Open. Tell us about what that process was like and what you, you learned about her and what she learned about herself through that result. Well, I mean, it's not so much what I've learned about her. I, I, I kind of know, you know, the transition from, you know, somebody that's 14, 15, 16, 17 and, and what they need to believe in themselves. But it's more about um, the unknown for somebody at her age and going through the process of putting in the work and having a lot of downtime, a lot of, you know, what ifs and questions. And even though, you know, a lot of young players at that age, they'll put in the work there, they, they question a lot. And, and so uh, that was just a stepping stone in the right direction for her. And as a coach and one of the coaches that worked with her, um, part of the puzzle that needs to kind of come into place. And I'm glad it was at the beginning of the year because as a coach, you try to repeat, you know, over and over that we don't know when the results are going to come. Uh, but as long as you're putting in the work and I can see as one of the coaches, um, you know, the direction is forward, then we just, we don't need to uh, question when it's going to happen. It's just a matter of, you know, when it does and, and just be thankful. And so that's kind of what happened. Uh this January, it was just, it was pleasant to have it happen at the beginning of the year because a lot of players, I've worked with so many players that at the beginning of the year, everybody is wanting to capitalize on their preseason work. And then sometimes they fall short. And then all of a sudden those questions start to come about. So uh, for her, it was, uh, they were answered and then gave her belief and, and uh, yeah, just allows us now to push even harder. So now as we move into sort of the second quarter of the year, you know, what direction do you guys move in in terms of pushing harder? What kind of tournaments? Is it a full junior kind of schedule? Is it some ITF qualifying or trying to get in there? What's, uh, what's the plan for Kayla? Are you, che- are you cheating? Are you cheating? Are you finding like the fly on the wall? Because those are some good questions because Thank you. Uh, as of now, yeah, as of now, we're actually transitioning into playing some pro events, which we think are extremely important for her development because on the junior scale, you know, she's providing the results that she needs. Um, and of course they're not always stable, but as you move into the pros, it's a different ball game, whether the level is stronger, whether, you know, there's so many variables, but she needs to get used to playing pros. And so we're actually doing a tour in Turkey. I'm taking Kayla and Mia, um, a week Wednesday. So we're going to go to Turkey for four weeks. We're going to play some 15s and get their feet wet uh, and see how they do and, and try to transition them and slowly uh, get them used to playing some ITF events. And then hopefully, you know, sooner than later, then uh, we'll go into uh, WTA. Yeah, right on. And uh, as things are starting to open up here in Canada, I mean, it's funny, this is the third year in a row we've had you on and the first one where I feel kind of optimistic that we're, you know, starting to move out of this pandemic after 2020 (laughs) and 2021. 
Um, but, uh, you know, good news for Canadian tennis fans is a lot of those events on the calendar here in our country are, are starting to open up and happen this year. In fact, I think all of them are going to be happening, uh, including, you know, the mm-hmm. Tevlin Challenger here in Toronto, a bunch uh, in Quebec and out west. Uh, is there the hope for Canadian tennis fans they might be able to catch Kayla uh, at one of those events this year or some of those? Well, events? that's always, I mean, definitely. I mean, especially moving through the summer, I know that her schedule will be predominantly on the European side until those events happen after Wimbledon, I believe. And then uh, she'll be on this side of uh, the world competing, I believe, hopefully in the main draw, but you never know. I mean, I don't know how many wild cards, depending on how everybody's doing at that time, but uh, it should at least be competing in the qualifying for a lot of those events. And, and uh, I think that's where the magic happens. A lot of, uh, Canadians find success and a lot of growth within the summer because, you know, the more we expand, the more we add tournaments just allows for um, the players that are ready and, and performing to gain that experience. Because, you know, as far as we know, when we go and we don't have the ranking, we'll have to play the qualifying and, and we're able to grant them wild cards. So I think that's a special thing. And, and everybody looks forward to the Canadian American summer. So uh, I know she's got her sights set on trying to hopefully compete at least in one of the divisions, whether it's qualifying or main draw. Well, you got to keep us posted and we'll share that with our listeners so they can uh, check her out in person. Sure. And, uh, you know, you're pretty in tune with the next wave of Canadian players coming up uh, clearly here in Canada. And, you know, maybe I'm mistaken, but I feel like Canadian tennis fans right now are so caught up in the professional tour because for the first time ever, we've got such an established presence on the men's tour on the women's tour sort of in the top 100 players in the top 10 or on the cusp of the top 10 like Leila Annie Fernandez I don't know if Canadian tennis fans are looking down the pipeline as much now at at what you know wave is coming up next and maybe I'm mistaken but what's the future looking like from your point of view in terms of um, you know the next generation of Canadian tennis players well, funny enough, we're going through a transition, I think, where we're trying to develop a lot of coaches, add, you know, guys like myself who would predominantly be out on tour, spending more time at home, uh, which helps obviously with the development. So there's always Canadian talent. And I think we're doing a great job of adding the depth towards the coaching staff, which allows, you know, us to share a lot more information and, and develop yet much younger and of course, hadn't have been for, you know, you know, Chapo and Felix and all these players, you know, Layla and Bianca and everybody that's performing right now, um, there'd be maybe a little more question. And right now, I think everybody knows that Canadian tennis is developing players. And so for the young guns that are coming up, it, it's almost as if when I hear a player now, you know, and they, they could be as early as 12 and you know, where do you want to be? And then they say top 10 right away. It's like when I was, when I was that age, I was thinking like maybe Ontario champion. (laughs) I didn't know. So, so there's a lot more belief. So I think uh, as far as, you know, our responsibility as coaches and, and for uh, people trying to push that message uh, we're, we're finding the right coaching staff um, and a lot more depth and, and people that are willing to commit to the day in day out stuff. So I think that's important. So um, for everybody listening, there's always gonna be talent and it's hard to predict. And I I wouldn't be able to put my finger on who's gonna be coming next, but there uh, is always a lot of uh, talent coming. And and I do 
have some people that I would have in the back of my thoughts right now, but uh, I won't. Uh, I won't give the uh, I guess surprise away too early. But uh, yeah, yeah we don't it's even too, too early pressure. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's like a, a a call that yeah would just who knows I could be way off in left field, but uh, yeah, but there's like, all this good talent. I like what you say. They're probably a more confident bunch, seeing fellow Canadians having the success at the pro level and believing that hey, why can't we do it too? Which is great. Um, you know, such, yeah. such progress over the years. Um, we've seen you bring so much energy and enthusiasm at the pro level, and and you've told us in the past that it's been tough committing to a full pro tour schedule as a coach with your young family um sort of i think explain the rationale to focusing more on the juniors how, how is it mm-hmm. different coaching players at the professional level with with players at the junior level in some ways maybe easier in some ways tougher i, I don't know well i mean that depends on which way you want to break it down so for me um it's a little bit more of a challenge but it's also easier in the sense that um there's not as there's pressure, but it's not on the day to day because you're looking long-term. So for me, I get out of the, if you don't perform on this very day, you could potentially lose your job. And that's how, you know, it's viewed out on tour. So you really have to be um, on your toes. And I love that I started this way. And so for junior tennis, it's more about long-term and you really have to explain to them because now the players don't have as much experience. So they're caught up in the every single day, you know, even down to if they miss a forehand down the line, that's the end of the world to them. And for a coach, you know, who's watching uh, with a lot of experience, it's not the end of the world, obviously. And so trying to convey that message um, is an exciting part of, you know, and, and refreshing actually to me, because that's actually you know, I think it taking my experience and transitioning it into um, the day-to-day um, experiences for somebody that is just learning is a little bit different, but also refreshing for me. So um, yeah, if I had to sum it up, pros expect a lot more on the day-to-day, but they also uh, understand that, um, you know, it, it's not about that specific day essentially it's more about putting in the work and whatnot and for the juniors they're all excited about everything so it's just simplifying a lot of those things on day to day and really getting them to believe in what they're doing um, and breaking it down and funny enough i'm actually going through that whole process right now because we're going through the process of you know going on this turkey trip and a lot of questions that are being asked wouldn't necessarily be would be asked uh, with some of my pro players that I've you know been touring with. So that's kind of exciting for me. Like I, I like that just because it's a whole new bag of things, and and I just bring all the experience, but just I'm able to convey it in a different message or yeah. a different style. So makes sense. Yeah. Um... I would imagine if you're 17 years old and about to embark on a month long trip to Turkey, that's pretty awesome. Whereas the pros maybe get kind of like, I don't know, jaded, but just kind of like desensitized to the, the thrill of travel. Right. Well, that is it. Right. That's, that's actually huge because uh, I, I find it funny because I talked to all, you know, the juniors and they're getting ready and they're going on these like month long excursions, not to mention like connecting flights and just, just the whole bag of tricks. And I look at it and I'm like, wow, that's like starting from the beginning of it all. And 
I'm like, I'm already tired just thinking about the whole schedule. And for them, they're all fired up. And that actually brings me back to my roots as, you know, just remembering where we all started and, and how refreshing that is, you know, like it, it's very exciting. No, nobody really knows what's on the other side. So that's where all the magic happens. I think for me, when I'm traveling or just getting ready to start traveling with a lot of these juniors, uh, it's just, they're, they're so fired up and you don't have to put that fire there. So it's, I think, uh, yeah, a whole, like I said, a whole nother realm for me, um, in terms of, uh, progress and whatnot for my coaching. So I think it's exciting. Yeah, I'm sure they get a lot of passion and enthusiasm from you as well. You got that infectious personality. We love your sense of humor. Who who finds you funnier, the pro players you've coached or the juniors you coach? Like, does Kayla think you're like dad joke funny or like legit funny? You know, I think there's moments where I I uh, I'll have her where she's questioning, should I give this guy credit? I think he might be funny but he's as old as my dad. So I'm just going to give him the dad credit. So it's, I think, I think I hear a lot more, or at least I convince myself that I'm funnier than just a dad joke. But uh, yeah, I think the, the pros obviously uh, have a lot more admiration for, for understanding, you know, where I'm coming from as opposed to a junior. And so I actually, it's great because I have two kids and I'm a dad. So I am the dad joke. There is nothing funnier than a dad joke that is running away from a dad bod. (laughs) (laughs) A dad bod and a pandemic bod. I feel like we got both working against us this year, right? (laughs) Exactly. I I want to turn my focus a bit to the professional tour here uh, as we enter into the the, the last few questions here. I don't want to keep you all day because I know you got the kids and they probably want their time in with you before you head off to Turkey, uh, I would imagine. I'll be surprised. Too. Yeah, I'll, I'll be surprised if the place isn't burning down as we speak <laughs> upstairs. <laughs> I'm in a similar situation here, but I don't hear any screaming. So that must be good, right? So that's good. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, that's good. What, what big tennis stories have caught your attention so far in 2022? Um, clearly on the men's side. Uh, Djokovic not being able to play in a lot of tournaments has, has been something else. And then you've got Nadal, this big resurgence from Nadal playing like an absolute beast so far. Um, and then on the women's side, just the news a few days ago, and, and Ben and I will talk about this on the podcast. And by the way, Ben sends his regrets that he couldn't be here for this one. Um, but we're going to be talking about Ash Barty and that decision that kind of surprises and yet doesn't surprise, you know, given her, exactly, right? pers- yeah. her personality and, and what she's already been through leaving the game at a young age, coming back to it. But you know, have any of those stories or anything else that kind of pops out to you that you want to kind of chat about that's uh, really made you made you uh, sort of raise an eyebrow so far in 2022? Well, I mean, the most recent is Ash Barty just uh, deciding to, you know, to end it on her terms. And I think that's I, I, huge respect for that girl. I, I, I love her. She's an awesome human being. Um, and when she left the the game at the very beginning, you know, I was good friends with her, Casey Delacqua, and they were playing doubles. And, and uh, when she decided that was uh, something I respected about her because she decided to, to leave the game on her terms again, because she didn't feel comfortable. And uh, she fell out of love. She decided to go play cricket and all these other sports. Then she comes back and, and then to have her be on top and then leave again. And I know she, I think believe recently got married you know and that's something that yeah i think so yeah yeah something like that and 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 so 
I think that's very fascinating because um, there are different types of human beings that play tennis. There are, you know, the all ins, there is nothing else. They don't know anything else that they're going to stay as long as possible. And then there's Ash Barty. Um, and I think that that'll resonate with a lot of people because um, at the end of the day, as long as you can stay motivated in the sport you love or the things that you do, um, that's, I think, the most important thing. And I think that that's where she was um, without even talking to her recently. But, uh, you know, I, I think she started to probably question whether she wants to put in that work on the day to day. And she decided it was probably most important to spend time with the family and move on to other things that she obviously is clearly passionate about. And she can obviously do whatever she wants in terms of uh, her talent. And, and so I, I resonate with that. And I find that uh, very cool. And um, as far as, you know, the other, you know, road dogs as you know as we like to call them Nadal and Djokovic are incredible at being able to you know stay out on the road and I think they're you know at a different stage in their career where they want to accomplish different things and so you know those two people now you have Djokovic who is sticking to his beliefs on you know you know not getting I guess was it fully vaccinated? Yeah, that's right. I'm trying, you know, I'm I'm definitely not statistically inclined, so you have to bear with me. But I do know that you know his beliefs are are something that he believes in, and that's what he stands by. And it's crazy to think that somebody that is in this position is going to stick to his guns amongst everything that's happening against the world. So he's basically going against it. Um, I find that also incredibly uh admirable and i have the utmost respect for him and i think a lot of people question that at the beginning but when you really know his story and his beliefs that's i think what humanity is all about right and and, and that's what he believes in and 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 uh i i gain a lot of respect after listening to his story uh after australia and then you got nadel the guy's <laughs> He seems like he's falling apart, but he just never leaves us, you know? And when, when I was uh, coaching Dennis, we'd always talk about like when that guy was ever going to leave tennis. And he's that guy that's literally, there is nothing else for that guy. You know, like he's got the most money in the world. He's got everything. And still he, that guy will, even with one leg, he's still going to try to compete and, and do what he does. So um, that's also courageous and admirable. And so like all three of those stories are incredible. And then we got feds who is my favorite. I love that guy and he's coming back and I love some of those, you know, those conversations back and forth on Twitter. I've seen, you know, with some of the players where he's posting a video and it's not bending his knees, nor does he need to because he's Roger. So it's like, you know, it's an exciting year, 2022, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Eh? One leaving the sport at 25 on her own terms and calling it a day. And then, as you mentioned, Rafa, who I can never imagine leaving tennis, uh, they'll have to drag him away off the tennis court almost. Um, I want to ask about three Canadian players who haven't been on the tennis court in some time and wondering if you have any inside information about them returning. Uh, Bianca looks like she's training on some 
hard true clay courts right now. So that leads me to think, hey, maybe we'll see her this clay court season, which would be fantastic. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard just played a couple of exhibition events. Looks like she's getting close to returning also from a year absence. And then Milos Raonic, haven't really heard anything about Milos and, and not sure if, you know, on any of those three fronts, you've got any inkling as to when uh, their fans might see them next. I wish I did. I do know that Bianca is obviously trying to make her her way back. Um, you know, I, I, I keep up to date with, uh, I guess, their updates and, and posts from her coach fan and, and whatnot. So we're all kind of like in a friend group on Instagram and whatnot. So um, I do see them updating and, and occasionally obviously making um, their voices to how they're going to be coming back. But I've been asked several times about Milos um, and Jeannie, and I would assume that they will be trying to at least make a small comeback, if anything, and 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 hopefully hit it big, and and that'd be great for Canadian tests for for them because they're great people too. I love them, and I've known them for so long. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy when you get. I guess I'm, you know, spring chicken, but uh, I've watched them grow up. I've played. Uh, with all of those i've helped them out so uh i wish them nothing but the best hopefully they come back and on their terms and then um when they decide it's you know time to call it quits and uh they'll be able to do that but uh, i have been asked that and i actually don't have um a clear understanding as to what and when they're doing things only because you know i'm spending more time at home so typically if you're out on the road you hear a lot more so yeah, those three players actually, I I understand that they're trying to come back, but as far as like details, not sure. So much talent between the three, and and looking forward to seeing them back. Oh my and, god, yes! And and going from so much talent, let's talk about hopeless talent. That was my little segue there, and <laughs> yeah, I want to give you the chance to plug <laughs> your your new project, which uh, I only know so much about from kind of checking out uh, Instagram where, you know, you can find it at hopeless talent official and hopeless talent.com yeah. online. So tell us about this premium lifestyle loungewear brand, if you will. Well, you know what? It's, it's more than that. It's, it's like hopeless talent in a nutshell is just a guy who's figuring himself out, who doesn't stick to one area of his talents. Right. And, and so, you know, for me, I just, I thought it was unique in the sense that I've always had the intention on doing multiple things with my passions and, and energy. So um, to sum it up would be hard because people ask me, are you a, a tennis player? What are you? And, and truly, I'm, at the end of the day, that's where the name came from. I'm just a hopeless talent. So, um, you know, you know, fashion is part of it, a lifestyle. Um, and within that, that creates uh an energy in me that keeps me motivated and at the end of the day hopeless talent is honestly just being unique in whatever you desire and 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 really keep that motivation going and so for me it's having an abundance of passions and that keeps me highly motivated and my energy never drops because i've tried to narrow it down um and just like focus on one thing and that usually slowly puts the fire out in me. So I, I thought, you know, create a brand and an awareness through it and I'm not rushing, but I'm also that's hopeless talent is figuring it out. And then along the way, hopefully 
pass on a message and hopefully inspire other people. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not about creating a clothing brand within the brand. I'm able to express, you know, the clothing, but, uh, it's deeper than that. Well, it's very cool, man. Uh, props for adding yet another, you know, uh, element to Rob Steckley and your brand. And I don't know how you do it. I feel pretty busy, but then I look at someone like you and I'm like, oh man, I could be doing even more. Um, but it must <laughs> well, be- you know what's yeah, go ahead. Here, uh, uh, that, that is what the brand is about. It's, it, it, it's honestly about, you know, if I didn't do hopeless talent, I would probably do far less, believe it or not. So uh, I think for a lot of people, when they look into that, it, it's, it's not about trying to make a clothing brand and be cool. It, it's literally me being me and, and finally being at an age where I'm okay with expressing all different avenues. And if I didn't do that, I'd actually be limited. So, you know, that's where I found a lot of love out on tour when I was coaching, going transitioning from player to coach, because you basically don't have, um, any roadblocks well you have roadblocks but that's the wrong word but um you have hurdles but you can get over them where you don't be you're not put in a box and so i really like that about touring out on the road and that gave me the freedom to explore who i was and you know if i wanted to be a snowboarder one day and you know at the core of it i'm a tennis player now a tennis coach um but if i felt like i wanted to be a professional drummer and a professional skateboarder I would explore that and I would try to do it a hundred percent all while maintaining my identity as a tennis coach. Right. And so I think that that's kind of inspiring because I see a lot of people out there um, who always tell me like, I would like to do that, but, and I'm like, what's the, but, you know, so that is, you know, in a nutshell, what the brand is, is, is just, if I didn't have all that use of energy, I would actually be useless. <laughs> Well, I can't if imagine that, that. I can't imagine that ever, ever happening. Um, and, and it looks like things are going well. Cause when I check the, uh, you know, the online store there, it looks like things are all sold out. So is that just cause you're bringing it all over to Turkey with you or uh, when can, <laughs> when can people see those uh, you know, the replenishment of the uh, you know, the toques, the t-shirts and, and all the other stuff you got there? Well, yeah, I mean, it did, it did sell out and, and, you know, I have intentions on restocking, but the best about, you know, I think, whoa, I'm losing this little thing here. Yeah, you know, it's not so much about making a new stock of, you know, the same old um, inventory that I did. What's exciting is like, I'll, I'll listen to a, a song, I'll be drumming, I'll be walking, I'll be doing whatever it is, and then it inspires me. And then I create a whole new batch of things. And then that's when I get um, uh, the motivation to you know, think about what I'm going to be doing out on the tennis court with it, what tour I'm going to be doing. And like, so that's where it comes from. And then, and then, uh, yeah, there'll be a new, you know, fresh look as spring comes, summer comes, who knows? I don't know. I, you know, but yeah, I'm not trying to compete with, uh, with Nike where they have to make, you know, their, uh, I guess their quota and, you know, they, they have to just be six months ahead. I just kind of go, with the flow and that's what's inspiring yeah. to me so. i feel like federer knows what he's wearing up to like you know 2032 at this point so it's uh, a little different yeah. for those guys <laughs> i guess but hey if you yeah. want to deck me and ben out head to toe for national bank open you know we'd be happy to uh, rock some i would love to swag, i would know, love so. to if you well if you if you're serious about it, i'd love to get you out in that 
So right. well, we'll chat. We'll chat. Rob yeah. Stackley, thank you for taking the time with us, uh, sharing with our listeners once again. We got to make a pact that this becomes more than a once a year thing because um, it's just definitely not enough. Okay. Absolutely. Well, keep inviting me. That's it. I'm always around in my basement. So. <laughs> Except when you're going on the road to places like Turkey. So safe travels and all yeah. the best to, thank you. to you and Kayla. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it. Mike's conversation with Rob Steckley. I didn't mention this at the top, but I do want to bring up the fact that I was actually at Aviva Center this past week. I saw Rob Steckley from afar and he was working and coaching just on a court with Canadian Carol Zhao, who, as we know, has uh, had a solid season so far and working on the ITF circuit building up uh her ranking and just noticed, as you mentioned, as we led into the interview, so much positive energy, you know, laughing, smiling, joking around, like complimenting, complimenting great shots. And I don't know about you personally, but I don't respond to like the angry in your face coach. I don't think that's what would bring out the best in me in, in whatever sport I was playing, whether it be tennis or, or something else. And I think Rob has that understanding as well. He keeps it light and fun, but also, uh, knows how to get the best out of people. And of course, he understands the game so well from his experience. I should say, I don't know what kind of tennis coach I would respond to because I never had a real coach because I never made it to any level where I, I would have one, uh, say, for my high school tennis experience where it was the school's chaplain uh, growing up who doubled okay. as the, the tennis coach. And uh, he also coached my uncle, who was like a good 35 years older than me. So he'd been around for some time. But uh, in terms of hockey, you know, which was more what I knew growing up. Yeah, I like the ones that could be sort of firm and fair. Um, mm. But I think a coach like Rob in tennis, and if you're going to travel like, like he is with Kayla here coming up to Turkey for four weeks, what a, what a great guide. I mean, someone who's probably been there many times before and just keeping the mood light in between matches and practice sessions and things like that. And so, uh, yeah, I think he's just a, a great guy to have coaching some of our, our young talent, our up-and-coming talents. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get to see Kayla Cross sometime, uh, whether it be this summer, either in the, the Quebec tournaments, the ITF tournaments, or uh, the Tevlin, which is at the end of October here in Toronto. Maybe even, I mean, who knows how things go between now and then, but I don't know, is a, is a wild card into qualifying possible at the National Bank Open mm-hmm. for her in Toronto uh, later this summer. I suppose that that could happen too. Yeah, I definitely think that could be in the cards. And I'm recalling speaking with her and Victoria, they both intend to play the the junior singles uh, Grand Slam at the French and could possibly partner up in doubles again. So uh, competing on that junior circuit and getting, I think, that big match experience at big time venues playing the slams. I think that that's so helpful. And they were keen as well to compete on on clay. I was just catching up, catching up with uh, some of Kayla's numbers and she's had success. Her most recent tournament late February was actually on clay made the quarterfinals in a junior tournament in brazil she's ranked uh, 20th right now her itf junior ranking so she's she's doing really really well i think progressing uh, at a perfect pace right now and and rob is there to guide her along as you said and one other thing we should mention before we uh, keep going here on the pod is uh, rob's other venture that he's into right now which is uh, the clothing venture hopeless talent which him and i spoke about um quite a bit at the end of the interview there and Rob said to me afterwards that he'd love to offer, offer up some, uh, some of his clothing as a giveaway for our listeners. And so go and check out uh, hopelesstalent.com and see some of the swag he's got there. But he's offering up one of their track suits. Um, and these are some pretty sweet looking track suits. So uh, have a peek. And if you're interested and you want to enter into this giveaway, which will uh, pull a name next week on Matchpoint Canada, then send us a DM with a code word. And the code word uh, for this giveaway will be 
hopeless, um, as in hopeless talent, and uh, send that to either Ben or myself or the Matchpoint Canada account uh, privately. Let's try not to share it, you know, so make people listen to the episode and yep. get it themselves. But we'd be happy to uh, give that away next week um, on the podcast. And thanks to Rob Steckley for offering that up. And, uh, and thanks to Rob again for joining us this week on the podcast. Yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, drop us that code word via DM, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, even Facebook, and we'll get you in the draw for next week. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We're on Instagram at Matchpoint Canada, also on YouTube and Facebook. This, of course, was the tennis news that uh, shocked and sent reverberations around the tennis world. Our world number one women's singles player, uh, out of nowhere, really, Ash Barty, announcing her retirement at just 25 years of age. You know, as, as a big sports fan, I can recall many retirements of great athletes. I think this ranks right up towards the top of the most surprising, given the timing. Yeah, the only other one I can think of in tennis that's as surprising because of the age. I mean, we've had champions who've retired after a big win. I think like Pete Sampras, yes. he was 31, 32 years old. So, and you know, and his skills had been declining over that last year or so. So it wasn't a total shock in that sense, but he did go out with a win. But what makes this so surprising is she's only 25 years old. And, and the only other one I can think of that kind of parallels a little bit perhaps is Bjorn Borg who left the game at, uh, I want to say, 26, if memory mm-hmm. serves correctly. And he was still, you know, in his prime, having just lost a, a Grand Slam final. So um, the age definitely uh, makes it uh, a surprise. And yet, as I said to Rob Steckley, not surprising in a sense, because to me, Ash Barty's never been someone who's defined herself as a tennis player first and foremost. And you have those people that are just super hungry and put all of their energy to the detriment of other aspects of their life into their sport, into tennis. And Ash has never been that way to me. She's always sort of been one to seek balance. Uh, the last couple of years, there's been quite a bit of time she's taken away from the tour. And part of that's due to the pandemic and travel restrictions as well is, is what I've gathered. But it's surprising and yet not on some levels as you think about it and the reasons that probably went into her decision. Yeah, that's, that's well said. And I think one of the most astonishing revelations that came to her conversation with a doubles player and and friend Casey Delacqua announcing the retirement was the fact that it had actually even been uh, in her mind last season after she said she achieved uh, the goal of her dreams winning Wimbledon that she considered retirement maybe even after that title which was something she had dreamed of of pulling off since she was a little kid does it wins the biggest title of her career and you look at the tennis she did play after Wimbledon it was sparse I think she took of course basically all of the fall off we didn't see her at the WTA finals Uh, so she did have that extended break I think at the time we just chalked that up to she wants to be home with family she's been on the road for nine months of the year so she deserves some time off returns wins the Australian Open, doesn't drop a set in doing so. And, you know, we we discussed it briefly on a previous podcast that we were surprised that where is Ash Barty? She's not playing Indian Wells. She's not playing Miami. Could it really be fatigue from the Australian Open where she didn't have uh, much much match play, really? I mean, seven matches, but she wasn't on court for that long of a time. But really, obviously, this was uh, in her mind for a long period of time. And the quote that stood out to me about her retirement, she said, I don't have the physical drive, the emotional want, and everything it takes to challenge yourself at the very top of the level anymore. I am spent. Fair enough. 
right? Fair enough, and and good good for her. I went back just before you and I started recording, and uh, it took me a little while, but I found uh, some uh, questions I asked her back in 2019 at the then Rogers Cup here in Toronto, and uh, she sat around and did a roundtable prior to the tournament starting up, and she had just won her first slam a few months prior to that at Roland Garros. So it was the first chance that many of us in the press here based in North America had had a chance to talk to her face-to-face. So a lot of the questions sort of surrounded that, you know, how did she feel? What was it like to be a Grand Slam champion? Had it changed her perspective? That kind of stuff. And she said it hadn't changed anything. She said it hasn't changed how I live my life. Um, She said that uh, for her, it's all about becoming a better person and player every day. And she didn't feel that being a number one uh, or a Grand Slam winner had changed her or that that defined and made her a champion per se. So even if you look back at the comments then, you could tell that tennis wasn't uh, going to be what, uh, what shaped her, what, how she viewed herself as just a tennis player. And when she was asked further to that, well, what do you see as a champion? And she named you know, uh, Australian tennis players who weren't necessarily multiple major champions, but Australian tennis players who carried themselves well on and off the court and battled hard day in, day out. And to her, that's what a champion was. So I, I just think even when you look back at the way she's talked about the sport over the years, it's really not surprising that this wasn't going to be a long haul for her, that she wasn't going to be, uh, you know, a Serena or Venus Williams playing into their late thirties, early forties. Um, could she ever change her mind and come back? Who knows? Anything is possible. Um, but when I asked her, you know, years ago about her first retirement, she said she knew she needed a break, but she always left the door open. It doesn't seem like she's leaving the door open this time. She's such an exceptional athlete that I think another one of those avenues and next chapters of her life, a lot of people are surmising, could it be a run in professional golf? Apparently she's a scratch golfer, very talented in that aspect. She's been a cricketer, as you know, in in the past after that first retirement from tennis. So obviously this incredible, versatile athlete, and that's really the word that comes to mind when I watch her on the tennis court is versatility. So many options in her game, uh, so many tactical skills and, and just finds ways to break down opponents and I was I was going over some of these remarkable statistics that she's chalked up just at the age of 25, as she's now calling it a, a career. Um, she was just the second Australian woman to reach number one ever. Uh, the first was Yvonne Gulagankali. Uh, 113 consecutive weeks at world number one. That'll finally get halted. Some very impressive stats when she was really dominating the sport, just really through that 2020 to 2021 stretch and early through 2022. She's won 12 of her last 13 matches against the top 10. So she was beating top, top competition, won the Australian Open without dropping a set, 3-0 and in Grand Slam finals, all these incredible accolades that, that you had many people online wondering, well, if she played five or six more years, how many more major titles does she win? Is, is she in the conversation to get, you know, 10 plus even? And I, I suppose it, it's easy to say that from the outside looking in, but if that's not really the path for her, uh, we, we can't really predict what would have happened, right? And, and her departure, I think, really leaves a void in women's tennis because if we talk about the the post-Serena era, not that Serena is necessarily gone mm-hmm. and finished, but let's say the, the post-Serena winning slams era, the only two players that to me have showed any sort of uh, dominance or ability to dominate and really sort of, you know, put a stranglehold on the, the top of the sport, uh, I would say are Naomi Osaka, who's won slams in, in consec- four consecutive years leading into 2022, 
and Ash Barty as well, and and how you know strong she's been when she's played the past two years. Aside from that, it's been pretty wide open, and there's been quite a bit of inconsistency. So with Ash Barty leaving, I don't know if I'm another player, and there were so many who congratulated her, and that speaks to just you know what a what a kind person she was, uh, what a champion that people could relate to, a very humble champion. But if I'm another player on the WTA, you know, in that top ten, top twenty, I'm like. Oh, sweet. This kind of opens things up a little bit, gives me a, a bit of a better chance uh, to contend for a, maybe a first major with Ash Barty not being there, a player who's one on clay, one on grass and one on hardcore. She's a threat at any slam that she enters. Yeah. Yeah. And now we, we should note her name is officially uh, getting removed from the WTA rankings. So we will have a new world number one at the conclusion of the Miami Open, which will surprised. of course be. Yeah. Go ahead. By that, by, I wasn't sure how that was going to work. Do they just wait until her points drop off? And clearly that's not the case. And uh, I was kind of hoping that, that the points would stick and that it would be, mm. you know, the number two, three, four, five, whatever, who would have to sort of Eventually battle it out. Supplanter, you know? yeah. And, and nothing against Igas Fiontek, who's been, you know, I don't want to say gifted, but you know what I'm saying, handed the number one ranking here. I would have liked to have seen more of a playoff for it and who's going to earn it over the next few months. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, but but Iga will be taking over that world number one in unusual circumstances. I think it's helpful. Uh, we acknowledge that she's been playing amazing tennis. We spoke about it the past couple of weeks, how great she's been playing. Uh, of course, has had two big, big titles this season, winning Indian Wells, uh, winning in Qatar. So she is playing amazing tennis right now and will take over that world number one spot. And French Open, clay season around the corner, maybe it's something that she can really put somewhat of a stranglehold on, honestly, because number two, as of now, and things can change rapidly, as we know, is Barbara Krejcikova. She's going to be under a lot of pressure to defend that French Open title. That's 2,000 points right there. And then just below her, you have uh, Paula Bedosa, who's ready to move up a couple spots. Maria Sakkari playing well. Arena Sabalenka struggling. So a, a lot of names are going to be buying. And it feels like we're at a place with the WTA where rankings are constantly in flux. We don't really have great balance. And, you know, Naomi Osaka could go out and win the Miami Open and her ranking has plummeted. So maybe we maybe we don't even need to be focusing on the rankings so much right now. There, there you go. Um, hey, let's talk about this second tournament in the sun, su- sunshine double, uh, the Miami Open, as uh, at the time that we're recording, we're uh, not quite halfway through yet. Um, disappointment for Canada, disappointment for Canadian tennis fans, not what we were hoping for, especially after Indian Wells didn't really go uh, the way we would have liked to have seen either. If you look at Felix Auger-Aliassime, he bows out in his opening match in both tournaments. Denis Shapovalov has just one singles win to show out of the two events, uh, not how we would have foreseen uh, these two big Masters 1000s on the men's side sort of play out. No, very, very surprising. Of course, uh, Canadian fans will be very disappointed with the showings uh, from our Canadians here in, in singles, starting with Felix Ojealiassime. I thought he was due for a great bounce back after the disappointment of Indian Wells and said he's out to Miomir Kekmanovic in straight set 6-4, 6-2, not to be a harsh critic here, I think this is probably the worst match she's played in 2022. You look at the re- result here, 6-4, 6-2, quite one-sided in the scoreline. And it was a one-sided match overall, 70 points to 47 for Kekmanovic. Uh, he controlled things on serve. Felix 0 for 5 on break points, had a few looks at opportunity, didn't take any of them. Miomir broke his serve three times. 
Kekmanovich, look, he's playing amazing tennis right now. He's having a bit of a breakthrough season. If we remember in the Australian Open, he took that open spot when Novak Djokovic was unable to compete uh, and, and play the first slam of the calendar year and ran over to the fourth round and had a breakthrough at a major. And he's, he's played great tennis since he made quarters of Indian Wells. Uh, he played pretty well at the Rio open. If I recall as well, quarterfinals there. So he's having a great, great season. I'm just surprised that Felix uh, couldn't solve him or really figure him out. And, and suddenly you run out of time and you're out of the tournament and very disappointing sunshine double Felix. Yeah, and we spoke about on the podcast last week how traditionally Indian Wells maybe not one of their stronger tournaments, but they've both done well in the past in Miami. So really expected kind of a bounce back. And uh, just to make reference to the Tennis Canada bracket challenge, this is going to kick my butt once again because (laughs) I really pegged the two of them to have a deeper run, especially Felix. Mm -hmm. And now that's clearly not happening. So, um Boy, we're going to need to rebound on the, or I'm going to need to rebound anyways on the clay court tournaments to uh, salvage some respectability here in terms of how we're holding up our end of the bargain as we've got a friendly competition with Sur La Ling, the uh, French podcast from Quebec uh, for Tennis Canada. But uh, yeah, this one I didn't see coming. And uh, on the women's side as well, uh, disappointment for Leila Annie Fernandez as uh, her tournament also didn't go according to plan. Yeah, and look, for me, Layla, as we mentioned the previous week, I thought she played well at Indian Wells, winning a couple matches and then losing to, to Bedosa. Here, I felt like she was dealt a pretty tough draw. Carolina Mukova is someone who, who's played great in the past. She's won a title. I think she's made semifinals. Was it Wimbledon? Se- or quarterfinals, rather, at Wimbledon twice. Semifinals in Australia last year. So it's, it's a player who's had great results in the past hasn't really been playing as much this season dropped out of the top 50 and then suddenly she's back in in form and right now we see a lot of draws on the wta like this all these great players if they've been out of form for some time maybe they've been injured off the tour for a few months come back look fresh as ever and that's such a tough opening draw i I think for for layla so unfortunate uh, that she couldn't get it done against mukova who wins six four seven six in advances but I think she can turn the page pretty quickly. Look forward to a quality clay season. My concerns are still there with Denis Shapovalov. He loses his opening round match to South African Lloyd Harris. And Harris now has a 3-0 and head-to-head record against Dennis which is reminding me of like Dennis's head to head against Jan Leonard Struff, for example, a couple of these players, he, he just can't seem to figure out. Yeah. They, they have his number and, and Lloyd beat him at the U S open uh, just last year as well. And uh, I guess that's going to be for Jamie Delgado to help him sort of figure out and navigate as the two of them are still early on in their mm-hmm. coach player relationship. It was such a strong start to the year for Dennis with the ATP cup championship uh, win for Canada and then a great run in the uh, Aussie Open, too, where he almost took out Nadal. Um, so I guess clay court, hopefully we're hoping for a Shapovalov bounce back on clay. And he has had strong results on clay before making finals of even a, a clay 1000 Masters event. Yeah. Um, so who knows? Maybe that's what he needs is just sort of a change of pace. Um, but um, yeah, and it makes me think to that conversation with Rob earlier about just when you're a coach at the professional level, there's a lot more pressure sort of tournament in and tournament out. And as a coach, you feel that like, Hey, if my player isn't doing well, how's my job security going? And I'm not saying someone like Jamie Delgado is going to feel that. And it's still early on in their Mm -hmm. partnership, but um, not the results that the two of them would like to see. I'm sure from this new partnership, especially after they, they started on the right foot back in January. 
Yeah, yeah, they did. And we've seen these slumps certainly in the past from Denis Shapovalov where he will have a block of struggles for it seems like four or five tournaments when he's losing early. And then he'll suddenly surprise you with, you know, a, a semifinal run in Wimbledon. You never know what, what he's capable of. Uh, of course, we've seen what he's capable of in, in beating some of the best players in the world and, and then losing matches against top 50 guys that you'd think he'd have control over. Um, right now, he's in one of those ruts. Maybe a new surface is the change you want. I don't know. I, I think the hardcourt surface is better for him, but uh, we'll see if he can regroup on clay. Uh, it, it's been just a strange tournament in Miami overall, particularly on the women's side where we have so many big names going out early Sabalenka lost early and at Contivate I think somewhat many were pegging as a potential contender to win it going out early Naomi Osaka is playing well so I'm keeping my eyes on her yeah as well and um, I just you know I'm not looking at my bracket picks anymore that's it it's putting too much pressure on me to be honest with you Uh, one player who's out and she's had back-to-back first round losses unfortunately but she missed a bunch of time on the WTA tour uh, getting healthy was Karolina Pliskova and uh, we're mentioning her because for those who tuned in last week, we're doing a giveaway for a signed tennis ball from the uh, Czech ace queen signed last summer in Montreal at the um, National Bank Open. And uh, Ben, I think you're going to do the uh, draw for us and let us know who our winner is this week. Yes, I have our names here. Thank you all to uh, joined in on this competition and giveaway for the signed ball and retweeting our podcast. And if I click our button and draw our random winner, we have on Twitter, Herbs underscore T-O Herb. So Herb, thanks so much for retweeting the podcast. Um, we'll shoot you a message, get your information and get you that signed uh, tennis ball from Carolina Pliskova. Very cool. And that is thanks uh, to uh, Tennis Canada, or thanks to the, the staff there who make these giveaways possible for us. And don't forget, we do have that other giveaway this week. Thanks to Rob Steckley, which is a sweet tracksuit from Hopeless Talent. So send us a DM with the code word hopeless to enter, and we will draw that next week on our Miami Open wrap up episode. Perfect. Well, we'll be tracking the tournament as things continue along for the next week. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. Guys, we'll talk to you next time. We'll say goodbye. Leave it all.